You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Late Night Live. Hot topics discussed daily from 11pm onwards. Get involved by calling 0141-375-3434 or search Radio Ramadan 365. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh You're listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Broadcasting around the world uh, Tonight is uh, Thursday <laughs> And we're back on the show after three days off And uh, you know what a, a, a bunch of shows we had last week Let me introduce my co-presenter Abu Bakr Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh How are you then? Alhamdulillah I'm good uh, You know I'm not going to lie I'm really tired and exhausted today So hope everyone can just bear with me The listeners tonight uh, And I'll tell you guys what I've been up to But first Abi What have you been up to the last few days? The uh, last couple of days I've just been relaxing You know uh, We've come into the last 10 nights now So I've been preparing for that Um, doing a wee bit of a, a, a clean still, you know, clean up my bedroom, redecorating and stuff and, you know, just en- enjoying the time at home uh, with family, cousins uh, and even friends, catching up with them, friends that we haven't spoken to in, you know, them two, three months or even years. Um, I know I've been catching up with uh, a lot of my high school friends, you know, uh, I've been off social media and I've just you know come back onto social media now because of lockdown you know you're in the house you're bored yeah. you're nothing else to do so just checking that and a couple of my friends have been in some hardships so just being given away a wee call and you know uh, sussing out how how they've been and stuff like that you know yeah may Allah reward you and like you said the last 10 nights subhanallah it feels like just the other day we were starting off the show start of ramadan full of energy Indeed. like And now it's the last 10 nights. These are normally the nights where the mosques are really busy and there's a buzz in the air and everyone's just trying to get the last bit of liquor done because they don't know when, you know, what night could be the odd night. So it's really strange. And uh, I'm going to be honest, like I mentioned at the start of the show, I'm feeling it today and I'm quite tired, but that's for a good reason. And, you know, like I said, normally the mosques are quite busy and we're running out the mosques at this time, but... I've been going in and out of mosque as well, but for a different reason, and subhanAllah, the mosque closed, but, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did our fundraiser for the Trussell Trust, and uh, just a bit of background, the Trussell Trust are a, a UK kind of umbrella organisation that run many of the food banks in the UK, and we did a fundraising show for them, and alhamdulillah, we raised a good amount of money on that show, and jazakallah to all the listeners and supporters that have been supporting Human Appeal throughout the month with the charity drives. And it's so hard for so many because a lot of us have lost jobs or not been in open in business. But people have still been donating and uh, subhanAllah, may Allah reward everyone that's been donating. And, uh, you know, inshallah, all our du'as and, and donations are accepted. Uh, and it's amazing. We had that show about the food bank. And subhanAllah, I received a call last week from my dear brother Faisal Yusuf from Masjid Al-Farooq. Uh, AFIC, which is a mosque that I attend quite regularly and I, I help out as much as I can there whenever I get time. And uh, he called me and said, look then, the food bank here at Masjid Al-Farooq has increased so much. We're getting so many people coming and we're also being donated a lot of food as well and we need a hand. So I said to him, I goes, okay, I'll, I'll make some time and I'll pop down and I'll, I'll help out. So... Uh, Monday was my first day, me and a couple of my close friends went along to Masjid al-Farooq and subhanAllah the, the amount of 
work that's going on there even with lockdown and it's very restricted only a few of us are allowed into the masjid and uh, falling full social distancing wearing PPE and what we've been doing the last three days including today is uh, preparing the food parcels for the food bank so their food bank runs daily Monday to Saturday and uh, you know although Fessel had told me that there's been an increase in people attending the food bank I didn't realise how many people were actually coming so take it back a couple of years ago I used to help out the food bank and maybe 10 to 15 people would come subhanAllah on Tuesday the queues were going from and if anyone local in the area to Govan Hill knows where Masjid Al-Farouk is on Dixon Avenue the queue went from the door of Al-Farouk all the way down to near enough Allison Street the queue was massive and that's not something to brag about that's something to to show our listeners and our community that this is a situation that we're in right now lockdown and and the coronavirus has had such an effect on the community and on people's welfare that so many people are now attending the food bank and i just want to say you know the amount of donations i've seen at the masjid in terms of people's uh, dropping off food and also some of the bigger stores just to mention a few of them like asda sainsbury's are big supermarkets and some food chains including some catering companies in glasgow that have been sending in food and what I've been doing is is preparing the food bags and putting in things into the food bank like stuff like that we mentioned on our show yeah. you know like soup and and uh, hot meals mm-hmm. tin stuff tin stuff bread and and things like that so you know uh, and the first thing we do is we prepare about 60 par- food parcels they get distributed for uh, the local community between half 4 and and half 5 we also got another section where we're sending out food parcels to those that are in lockdown and at home in quarantine and can't leave so they're getting supplies for a week which is amazing and uh, and also we prepare food banks uh, food parcels for the hostels mm-hmm. subhanallah over a hundred meals we send out to the hostels so our job is um getting the roti the salad the rice putting it into containers adding it into the food parcels that are already made and sending them out. So, you know, may Allah accept all the efforts of not just the guys at Al-Farouk, but all over the UK and in Glasgow that are still running. And, and it's so weird being in the mosque, Abu Bakr. Like, mm-hmm. it's busy, normally busy at this time of yeah. the year. And now there's just a few of us in there. And we obviously we're fo- following social distancing. We're all being careful, cleaning our hands and gloves every two minutes. But... There's a need in the community. Just, I just want to ask you a question. You know, on average, over the last couple of days that you've been in uh, the mosque doing, you know, the food bank, uh, how many people on average would you say you've you've seen coming to to the, the food, food bank? Banks? Yeah. Well, on Tuesday I was there, and the queue was going all the way down. I'd say at least a hundred people, mm-hmm. and that means probably around a hundred food parcels went out. Mm-hmm. And then, in terms of going to the hostels, every day there's a hundred food parcels that go there, and and then there's bits and bobs. Some people just pop in and give stuff, and some people come and take stuff. So the operation is is large, uh-huh. and may Allah reward everyone. And and that's why I was saying I was shattered because today, uh, while I was supposed to be researching for the show, I got a call saying, "Look, then we need some help at the food bank," and I went down straight away, and I was there for three or four hours. Um, and it's hard. You got a rosa and. You know, it's getting to us now because we're on, like you said, the last 10 nights and uh, a lot of energy just going towards that. And uh, and today when I've come to the show, literally just stumbled into the makeshift studio and I'm like, let's do this. And, uh, you know, we've got a busy week coming up as well, guys, on the show. So last week we discussed 
some great shows. I mean, the racism show is coming up on Saturday, which is going to be a real hit, talking about does it still exist here in Glasgow, in the UK, in the community. And uh, on Sunday, we're talking about working abroad. And tomorrow, we're discussing Hajj and Umrah. Now, I know many people probably won't get to go Hajj this year, but we're going to talk about the whole process of going to Hajj and, and, and Alhamdulillah I've had the opportunity to go to Hajj and also just Umrah, you know, what goes on, what's to think about. So that should be really fun tomorrow as well. But tonight you've got a great topic and it's all about growing up in the West as a youth and in our country and following Western values and also trying to mix that in with Islamic values. But before we do that, we have to listen to our recitation of the day. It's actually one that we heard on Saturday from Brother Abdul Wahab Tahar. It's so beautiful, I have to play it again. So let's go ahead and listen to that and then I'll bring in our guest for tonight and continue with the show. Today's recitation of the day is by Qari Abdul Wahab Tahar from Kuwait. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم تبارك الذي بيده الملك وهو على كل شيء قدير الذي خلق الموت والحياة ليبلوكم أيكم أحسن عملا وهو العزيز الغفور الذي خلق سبع سماوات طباقا ما ترى في خلق الرحمن من تفاوت فارجع البصر هل ترى من فطور ثم ارجع البصر كرتين ينقلب إليك البصر خاسئا وهو حسين ولقد زينا السماء الدنيا بمصابيح وجعلناها وجعلناها رجوما للشياطين وأعتدنا لهم عذاب السعير. Subhanallah, what a beautiful recitation there from Qari Abdul Wahab Tahir. I played him now, I think, a couple of times. But that recitation just gets me at the start of every show and it's such a beautiful voice and it is the month of Quran, it is the month of, you know, reading hadith and, and focusing on our prayers and in the last 10 nights it's it's difficult to stay focused without going to Tarawih and going to the masjids. Normally the mosques are preparing for the final day of reading Quran and, and Tarawih but, you know, as long as we stay connected to the Quran, inshallah, we'll get there. And like I said guys, tonight's show is all about growing up in the West as a youth and uh, tonight we're talking about the challenge, the challenge for young Muslims because we're constantly under pressure from parents to pursue education, especially in this country and at the same time follow our Islamic studies and stay on our deen. So tonight's just a light discussion about, you know, what we've went through growing up and what we've realised within the Western society, especially in the UK, the challenges that we face growing up. And uh, over the phone today, I have our dear brother, Akub, our co-presenter. Assalamu alaikum, Akub. Wa alaikum salams and how are you today? Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Uh, how's things been in Rochdale? 
Um, just like yourself, to be honest with you, you know, it's been such a busy week since uh, since obviously our, our last show. You know, I'm just currently working from home and just doing a lot of scenario planning and and things like that for work. So it's just been quite quite hectic at work this week, and then also trying to homeschool. Um, my nephew so it posed a few challenges this week I think like you said it it getting to that part of um, Ramadan where it gets a little bit tough yeah. Um, yeah. you know spiritually physically mentally it starts to kind of wear, wear on you a little bit doesn't it so hoping to kind of you know get my motivations and things back for <laughs> kickstart the last 10 days and hopefully kind of finish Ramadan on a high no definitely and, and honestly you're, you're spot on I'll go back uh, today's probably the first day I've really been feeling it and I think it's just due to actually getting out and about because in lockdown we've become so relaxed and just sleeping in and chilling all day and and, and just doing things at home and then you know like I said earlier on I've just been up as, as soon as I'm awake, getting freshened up and going straight to the mosque and helping out with the food bank. So it's just been really tiring and, uh, you know, I think it's starting to catch up with me. I think I need a good night's sleep. After Definitely. Night's yeah, I, know, I, know, I know me and you have been part of the 5am no sleep club. <laughs> we, usually, <laughs> we usually are awake messaging in the groups and stuff. And it's the same. And I find it very difficult recently to kind of fall asleep at a reasonable time. No, it's, it's <laughs> definitely. It's just one of those things, I guess. And uh, now look, I go tonight's show. Let's get on with it. Um, you know, tonight's show is actually supposed to be a different topic. But we decided that right now one of the m- most beneficial things to talk about would be tonight's topic. And I go, we're talking about growing up in the West. Now look, in the UK... We're faced with many challenges that a lot of probably guys our age and sisters our age uh, in maybe Muslim countries or, or those kind of countries don't seem to face when they're growing up. And uh, I mean, you know, one of the, the main things is obviously when we're younger, we go straight into school. Now, obviously in the UK, we go into primary school. And, uh, and, and obviously, I want to just start off by talking about that. Now, for me, you know, I'll kick us off. I mean, my parents put me into a... Uh, an Islamic school so uh, you know back in the day there was an Islamic school set up here in Glasgow and I think I was one of the first students like our our year group kind of to go into that school and and I know my parents done it for with the right intentions and obviously they wanted me to have that 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 dean and that knowledge side of things and also be able to get my studies but I think you know I'm, I'm as much as I enjoyed it and I made some amazing friends there it's hard because I was so young to even remember what what it was like but I've got some memories of 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 the school that I went to and grown up but I go up yourself this was in primary school yeah so there was a primary school set up here in Glasgow it's probably one of the first actually um and you know it was it was different I mean subhanallah there was a lot of kids there but what happened was you know three years in when I was in primary three the school started to go through a few difficulties with a change in management and and then I got put over to a normal state school and I don't know about your club, did you go to an Islamic school or, or just a normal? Um, no, no, I went to a normal school so with me, like I was I was born in Pakistan so I, I came I came. Really, yeah? I was, even, even I didn't yeah, know that? Yeah, yeah, not many people do they, they don't. but then again, you know, although I was born there I came here relatively young so I came here when I was maybe one and a half, two years of age. Okay. Um, so I was just relatively young, but then obviously I still had a bit of catching up to do in terms of obviously the language barrier and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So, I mean, okay. I went to a typical kind of English state school, um, and, primary school. Yeah, and, and was it filled with Pakistanis? I mean, in Rochdale, obviously there's a lot of Pakistanis, but was it filled with predominantly Pakistanis? So the so when I came to the country, obviously the house that we lived in next to it was actually quite 
um, highly populated with with ethnic minorities. So there was, you know, a lot of Muslims in that school, and there was. And then I think we moved like a year later. I think I think when it's about, I think we moved to where I'm currently living, about ninety six, ninety seven. Mm-hmm. So then we moved schools, and although we still it still had a reasonable number, um, but it was it's definitely a lot more mixed. The the primary school that, that I ended up actually going to in the end. Okay. Um, so I mean, back then when I was kind of that age, I mean, I think you're quite lucky if you're saying you did get the chance to go to Islamic school. But if I'm being completely honest, I I, I wasn't aware about Islamic schools um, to quite a, quite a big age, to be honest. I don't know if it was just because maybe they weren't around the region where I currently live, or maybe just because I wasn't aware of it. But like I said, for us, it, a lot of people, you know, the people that I grew up with, we were just predominantly going through state schools at that time. Okay. No, I mean, like like you said, when you came over from Pakistan and you struggled. For me, when I went from, from going to an Islamic school and coming over to a state school, honestly, I, I think it's one of the most difficult things I went through in my childhood because I grew up, obviously, with, you know, predominantly Muslim, Pakistani kind of brothers in, in, in the school that I was at. It wasn't a boarding school or anything, it was just a normal primary school, but, you know, coming into into a normal state school, I remember how tough it was. There was only three or four other Asians within the school, and when I came in, I was so far behind, <laughs> and that's a lot of that's due to just the level of the education that was being offered at the Islamic school but um, you know it's just when I came into to primary school here primary four I was so far behind all the other students I remember the teachers were a bit worried about me and I didn't even know how to hold a pencil or, or write <laughs> yeah. and subhanAllah that was in primary four and and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you I mean back then I didn't really know too much about racism and that's something that I'm, we're really going to discuss on Saturday's show but it was hard and it was tough. Did you used to attend mosque as well whilst you were going to the Islamic school? Like for us, because we used to go state school, so basically we used to go to school from obviously 9 till 3 and then we used to have to go mosque. Yeah. Uh, so once yeah. you got to a reasonable age from and then from like 4 to 6 every day. So were you doing the, the same Islamic yeah. school and mosque as well? Yeah, the same. So I would just go to, to school and then after that, my parents and like my mum would take us to to uh, Grand School and we would go to mosque there for a couple of hours and then come home so uh, but and, and definitely in school it was hard because we were so far behind and, and, and I know now it's different now some of the like Jamia mosques and so on in Bolton and stuff that I've been to and, and visited they're way you know way more ahead now in terms of they're actually conducting proper exams there and the students are learning and are, are of high quality and like you said Akub, I didn't see that until later on only a few years ago actually I visited one of those kind of schools and they're doing a grand job down there but in Scotland we don't really have anything like that and um, there are some education kind of um, organizations here but in terms of a proper kind of boarding school environment it's not something that we've really got um, right now but alhamdulillah in Glasgow there are now some Muslim primary schools Islamic schools and, and alhamdulillah they're doing well but back then it was it was difficult but definitely coming into a school with you know and I was so far behind everyone I think in primary four I didn't like I said I didn't know how to write I didn't know how to kick a ball and everyone else knew how to play football and <laughs> the next year Alhamdulillah, I managed to up my game up, and I think I became the best handwriter at Moss Park Primary at one point. So, <laughs> so I can tell my kids that one day, inshallah. But anyway, um, and everyone always says I've got good handwriting now, right? So, <laughs> but, but but yeah, that jump was difficult. And I don't know about you, Abu Bakr. What was your you straight into just normal primary school? Oh, so I went to a Catholic primary school. Okay, and tell I, us more. And I also went to a Catholic high school as well. Um, 
So did you used to sing the songs every Friday? No, I, di- I didn't used to join in because I knew better, <laughs> but right. I was the only... Oh, wait, there was... Uh, in my primary class, that I had one other Asian boy mm-hmm. in the class with me. Um, there wasn't very many right, Asians so, in the so school. So how was it for you? Because obviously you came into school a bit later than me, but mm-hmm. how was it for you adapting then and, and making friends in that kind of scenario? So my friend group's always predominantly been... Uh, kind of white. Okay. Um, I've I, I I used to go to um, you know, after sports clubs and stuff like that. YM, for instance, mm-hmm. and that's where I kind of met uh, met the the Asian kind of boys, and I I got friendly, and alhamdulillah, I'm still friends with a lot of them today. Yeah. You know, the West End lot. So, uh, but throughout the uh, primary school, I was predominantly friends with white people, and high school as well. I was the only brown boy in my alpha alpha class. Um, okay, what's alpha? Alpha class is your set class. Okay, right, so I was the, I was the only brown person in my cl- in my class, <laughs> okay. uh, and throughout the year group, we actually had one of the lowest. Um, and numbers for Asian people in my year. My sister's year, they had quite a lot of Asian, and my brother's year, he had a, a lot of Asians in his. Uh, and I, I know the the younger years, they started to be more Asians, but uh, they cut one of the, the they cut the Darnley area out for the region for okay. the school. So there's a lot of Asians were cut from. All right. So so I mean, then with that poses challenges because obviously. I was the same. I grew up in more or less a kind of white school. Ours was a Protestant school, so mm-hmm. they did every Friday do their hymns and stuff. And I'm going to be honest, I used to do it, right? <laughs> but, but then I, I remember asking one of my aunties, and, and I was like, look, what should I do? She goes, just after you, you say it, and just say, um, um, just say only joking. So I would say that words after I say only joking. <laughs> and, and that's it, but... You know, it's one of those things that you, when you go to school, and that is your local school, you have to respect what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in our Islamic schools, obviously, we've got Juma on Fridays, but they've got their hymns in the morning. Mm-hmm. But it was still mad to see. And obviously, in Scotland, I don't know about you, Akob, but we had this thing where they used to have to learn Highland dancing. So <laughs> they used to teach what? that in our school. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that. And I know everyone used to dread it, and oh my god, I used to dread it a lot, but... Were you one of those uh, Highland dancers in school? No, 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 I wasn't. With your wee skirt Do you know, we used to have to to do it, and uh, it's amazing, because that's the Scottish culture, and that is something that's in school, and it's one of those things I didn't even think about until tonight we're talking about Mm -hmm. it. I'd I'd go up anything like that in Rochdale, did you have to do any of the the dances or anything? (laughs) How how often did you have to do the, the Highland dance? I think it was every week. Actually, oh, yeah, that's right. So we used to have this thing in high school when it, I think when we were approaching Christmas time. So once a year, we used to our P lesson used to be like a Christmas ball dance thing. Yeah, yeah. it's called a Keely. Yeah, yeah, it was something you know, uh, something along those lines. And yeah, every Asian used to kind of dread it um, for the full year. Also, <laughs> we can't dance. Do you know what I mean? So that was like the one time you used to purposely miss, you know, leave your P K at home and stuff, and just try your hardest just to avoid. Avoid it at all costs, but yeah, that that that, that is bringing back some memories. It used to be funny that. You know, it's it's interesting because obviously we've got a club down in England. It's amazing to see how mm-hmm. we've all grown up here in the UK, but we went through different kind of 
avenues like you didn't have it in your school but I, I'm did, yeah, I had the Kaylee as well okay. we used to have that every Christmas so the, so, and then Gobe saying that he had to do something like that as well but mm. I'm sure we had to do it every week but it's amazing because when I came from the Islamic school straight mm. to that and it was totally different and uh, I think the uniforms were totally different as well because in, uh, in the Islamic school we had to wear a smart blazer and stuff and that's mm. only starting to come back into our school now but um, when I came to that school it was more just like you know normal uniform from what I remember from school in primary school there used to be prayers every morning that's yeah. what it was so they used to do Friday, uh, morning prayers it was so yeah. uh, the teacher would lead a prayer and then uh, the whole class would have to you know go along uh, with Gobe, did you find that challenging at all because obviously you came from Pakistan young age and you know being asked to dance and like Abu Bakr's mentioning prayers it's something that's really different isn't it to do that well to be honest with you, I can't really use the Pakistan thing because obviously when I when I came in, I joined. Uh, like I said, I was only one and a half, two years of age. The dancing thing kind of come in the high school thing. So mm. definitely, I mean, I'm I'm not gonna lie. Like obviously, spiritually at that age, uh, I probably wasn't um, a spiritual. Maybe I, I should have been. For us, uh, if I'm being completely honest, it wasn't more so kind of the faith thing or spiritual thing. It's just the fact that it was just embarrassing dancing with with different people, you know, in front of the whole year kind of thing. That more was put, was more of a put off than than anything, to be honest. No, I def- on, on the dancing aspect, I remember, because uh, we used to do the same thing in high school, and I, I remember a couple of the Asian boys, they used, um, the teachers used to say, if, uh, we didn't want to do it, and we used to, to kick up a fuss, you know, we're not dancing. Because right. well. you had to dance with different people, even yeah, the, the, teacher, the, the teachers, the teachers and the sisters. It'd be so yeah, weird. So um, they'd say, all right, if you don't want to do it, you have to get your parents to write you a letter. So a couple of Asian boys took that opportunity, you know, forge some letters <laughs> because their parents would be like, oh, no, you have to do it, whatever. Yeah, I think so, it's, I, I remember feeling really uncomfortable doing mm-hmm. it. And, and I know the other Muslims in my school, because we were such a minority, felt the same way. Now, look, great start to the show so far. We're going to go for a short advert break. And then when we return, we'll continue discussion and talk more about high school and also the extra curriculum activity including some of the maybe Islamic educational things that we were doing as well. Coming over to high school now and and um, like for me when I came into high school because I come from more or less a Protestant white school and the only kind of friends I had were those kind of um, you know Christian and, 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 and so on friends and when I came into uh, my school I had a choice of going to two schools like a, a really good school that was predominantly white here in Glasgow and, and, and you know one of the top schools but I chose to go to the school that most of my primary school friends were going to and when I came into that school I mean some of that school was more or less half Asian and ethnic minority and half kind of white and other background so when I remember coming into that school that was a big change because you know, all of a sudden in my class, I've got, you know, half of it's full of Muslims and, and Asian brothers and sisters. And, you know, and the school, I remember I, I faced a lot of difficulty and I faced a lot of kind of, not bullying, I'd say, but just kind of remarks like, why are you hanging about with, with all the white people and so on? And I was like, because I grew up with those people and, and they're my friends. But subhanAllah, that transition into this school then opened up so many doors because I then made a lot of friends within the Asian community here in, in Glasgow. And some of those friends now are, are closer to me than a lot of the school people I went to school with in primary school. Now, I will, uh, you know, before I come over to Abu Bakr, I go, but what was it like then when you went from primary school to high school? Obviously, it's such a big jump, but did you manage to get into, you know, traction there and get on with it? Or did you struggle? Or So, alhamdulillah, it was 
it was a big transition, like you just mentioned, because primary school, like, you almost have this safe bubble because it's just, you know, because you'd be like year five, year six, so you're the oldest, you know, in the primary school. So, you, you, you know, you're all right. But when you're going into, obviously, high school, you're at the bottom of the food chain, aren't you? Because you're going in as, you know, little year sevens, and then you've got all the big scary year elevens, you know, ready to just <laughs> all looking at you, thinking who's the new lot, you know, of, of people to kind of walk in through the door. And um, our school, to be honest with you, was when I joined year seven, we didn't have many Muslims in, in, in each year. Um, it was predominantly kind of white. And I think I probably can count how many people, I think, minorities we had in the year, maybe only about 10 or 15 okay. you know, in a full year. So it definitely was quite an interesting transition. I mean, no, I've never really had any problems mingling in with different cultures or different people. That that wasn't really the issue. I mean, you know, our break times and lunch times, and it was... It used to be interesting because, like, I don't know how it was in your high school, but in our high school, we, everyone used to kind of gather in the hall. The To go outside was quite limited. You could only go out certain times. So everyone, whenever everyone used to gather in the hall, so there used to be two parts where all the Asians used to gather and then everyone else was kind of like everyone else. Everyone used to kind of stick together. Yeah, I think so, I think you're right, Akub. I think here it was similar. I mean... It then became more of me kind of hanging out with the non-Muslim friends that I'd grown up with, and now I'm hanging out with more of the, the Asian boys that were in school. And you're right, it just forms into that kind of categories. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. That's up to everyone's opinion. But I found it in- totally interesting, and it's something that I hadn't seen before, obviously, in primary school. But I think, you know, when, when it comes to high schools here in the UK, I mean, the vast amount of pupils, you're obviously at such a big school, and that we, you go into and, and there's so many people running around and, and and it's a great place because you make a lot of friends and, and obviously there's there's those things going on but I mean coming back to our Islamic side and, and learning and so on I mean I think one of the biggest difficult for, difficulties for me in school is Juma because I remember in our school there wasn't really a weekly Juma I mean it was on and off within our school and because it fell at times just between the lunch break and b- before the first class restarted I think that was really tough and I think that's why it was important to have the kind of out of school Islamic kind of not just mosque but we also had on something else which a lot of listeners here in the UK will know about the Young Muslims Initiative mm-hmm. an organisation that stemmed from Islamic Society of Britain now uh, Abu Bakr and Daud, his brother as well and among so many of the brothers that I can name that are helping out with the show for example Jamal, Musti and Saif a lot of the boys we all kind of met each other through YM now Abu Bakr you want to obviously just for a Akub's sake and for the other listeners that are not from Glasgow and haven't seen what YM was all about do you want to just tell us a bit more about what was your what was your normal day like at YM after school? So YM, I, what I remember so, from YM. So before we begin, YM stands for Young Muslims, yeah. right? On you. So uh, from what I remember from uh, YM, is it used to be uh, uh, every Friday night. Every Friday, yeah. Uh-huh, seven o'clock. Is Until that nine o'clock right at Hillhead uh-huh. High School, yeah. Hillhead, and it was at I think Wood Farm or something. Yeah. One of the others. No, it was at Shawlands Academy. Yep, yep. So there's two. I used to go to the the Hillhead one. Okay. Uh, although sh- the Shawlands one is closer to me, but I I, I preferred the the Hillhead one, and that's okay. where I've met. Right. So tell me, what did you used to get up to there? Because obviously I've so, got my experiences as well. From what I remember from uh, YM is we used to go uh, every Friday night, you know, and uh, Sman Weezy and brother Omer used to be there and. 
uh, we used to play football and yeah. other games uh, and you know have a have a laugh have a kick about you know um, and then there used to be an Islamic reminder at the end or at the beginning you know one, one of the scholars or you know one of the brothers the teachers uh, like shot a shock it yeah uh, it's amazing because you know the way it was was we'd have our week of obviously going to school and going to mosque and then every friday we'd look forward to our parents would drop us off at this high this other high school right and obviously they had a sports hall there so we'd get dropped off at seven o'clock you'd come in everyone would sit on the benches and uh, then we'd be given a reminder by one of the older brothers. Now, when I say older, I mean thinking back to Brother Musa, Brother Usman. They were yeah. probably only three, four, five years yes. older than us. But what they would do, Akob, is give us a reminder. And we, we'd, we'd listen to a reminder for an hour. And everyone would be just looking at the clock, waiting for eight o'clock to hit so we could play football. So we'd be like, oh, can we just cut it short? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, Allah, and, and they used to always say to us that, you know, may Allah reward all the brothers, right? And he used to say, look, you know, you can't just come here just for the football. The reminder is more important than the football. But obviously when you're young, all you want to do is just kick a ball about with your, your buddies. But that that really created a sense of community and brotherhood. Yeah. And that's one of the Definitely. things that we were taught was brotherhood. And remember, think for your brother what you, you know, wish for your brother what you wish for yourself. That's one of the main things I learnt at YM because everyone was such a, a nice group. I think that was one of the morals, you know, brotherhood it, and sisterhood. It, it was, it was. And obviously, like we were talking about the brother side here, they had a sister section as well. And my sister went through that and your sister went through yeah. it. And and what would happen during that time, the parents would then sometimes go away and have their own circle. So yeah, the parents... The family circle. So, so I go the parents, like my father and my mum and, and, and same with uh, Abu Bakr and, and all the other brothers, their parents would then go away and have their kind of hour off, you know, and then when it, they finished, they'd come and collect the kids. And that was such a, a great initiative now and, and sitting here right now, mm-hmm. you know, I feel, I appreciate it so much because yeah. some of these beautiful brothers that I've met, Mm-hmm. have all been through things like that like YM and they used to do other things at Gob where you know they used to send us away on these camps so there yeah, was something there was called summer school as well they, I remember yeah. that so during summer there used to be YM summer school as well so you'd go for a two week duration through summer or the four week duration whatever it would be and you know you'd go at 8 o'clock in the morning till about two or three in the afternoon and then after that you'd go home and they'd line up different activities for us through the days so you know we used to go to uh, botanic gardens and do pottery making and stuff you know they'd show us life skills you know yeah um going to different clubs and they'd set up you know cricket scotland coming yeah. in or I, I, all I'm, these other i things. mean now coming to think about it it's something that i'd love to look into maybe restarting for and uh, maybe in the future years because yeah. it was so beneficial to us now Akub. Did you have anything similar to that? I mean, you went to school, you went to mosque. Was there anything else that that obviously brought in the more Islamic side to your lifestyle when you were growing up? Um, I was just going to ask, actually, that sounds like such a good initiative. Is it still ongoing or is anything similar? Well, I'll I'll be honest now, it's, it's, it's not running the same way it was then. What happened was, throughout the years, it just kind of... The brothers got older, started focusing on their universities, like the older brothers, and then... And families as well. Yeah, and families started getting married, and then even our usras, our weekly kind of study circles, started to disintegrate because some of the brothers just got busy with work or... And and it's so sad because, you know, it just kind of fell away from us, and now I don't think the kids have anything like that anymore because they would rather spend 
their evenings playing FIFA or playing PlayStation than coming down to, you know, Hillhead and having a kickabout of football. But yeah, yeah. Cool. so you were saying... No, I don't think... No, I don't think... To be honest with you, we didn't really have anything that was... Um, faith-led we did have like stuff initiatives and things that kind of you know brought stuff together i don't know if you guys ever had one of the great initiatives that we definitely benefit from what i remember when i was younger there was a thing in summer right i think it was called a brag pass or something okay it used to happen every every summer and it, it used to basically help ethnic minorities and people from kind of lower income families and you used to get this pass right where it enable you to do activities for free okay. so it was a free bus pass Right. And you also got to go like swimming and you know, wow. lots of different activities that you didn't get to go to for free. Yeah. So we used to spend a lot of time, you know, honestly, some days we just used to just get a bus and just go for a ride just because we had a free bus pass. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they were the kind of days that we used to go. And we, we would just go to a different town and, and go to a different swimming wow. centre somewhere there and just, you know, just enjoy uh, a bit of time with, with the lads because that's what the culture was then when we were younger. It was more about being active and getting out and doing stuff yeah. as opposed to kind of more like computer video games and yeah, I think being inside the house. But with young Muslims, they did something similar where there used to be some, sometimes we used to go swimming, there used to be fil- football tournaments, sometimes play- PlayStation FIFA tournaments. <laughs> there was also, like I mentioned, the squat camp. So, you know, I went to a couple of them and honestly, what a laugh, right? It was a group of the brothers, right? Like 30, 40 of us all signed up. And we'd be taken away out of Glasgow to like Dumfriesland to an outdoor activity centre, you know. Uh-huh. And we'd just spend a couple of like nights there, I think maybe four or five nights a week there. And everyone just packed their bags. We're all in the dorms. Everyone's pranking each other. Oh, and and you know, time. but at the same time, they brought in some amazing lecturers and scholars that mm-hmm. came in and taught us. Subhanallah. I remember just vaguely, like you know, everyone waking up at fudger time and. Uh, it was together. beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't even know if the kids have that nowadays. If you, if if you, any of the brothers are listening and they know any of the younger brothers are involved in something like that, then let me know because I'd love to help out with it. But you know, did you ever what, have um, Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah, they they had the Duke of Edinburgh, obviously, but we had that here. But I think more from the Islamic point of view, that was what was going yeah. on. And they used to also, I go, you know, we used to go on boat boat trips. We used to go on. I remember fond memories of going sailing. And Brother Fazil, who's one of the the helpers on the show, one of our researchers, and he'll be presenting as well on Sunday, inshallah. Me and Fazil have got some mad memories. But there's one where we went sailing, and Brother Umran Amin, who was on the first show, right? Umran Amin's uh, now one well, obviously the Penny Appeal um, uh, kind of fundraiser. Run, fundraiser for Scotland. Now, I go with this brother, right? We we were younger, obviously they're older than us, and we were on a little sailing boat, sailing in a lake, and everyone had their own boats. <laughs> and I remember, yeah. So me and Fazil <laughs> were on this boat, and me and Fazil were having a great time. We were going fast, and we had a nice little boat, and used to just sail. And then these brothers, the older brothers, came next to us in in, in a in a in a lesser boat, like a canoe, and they wanted our sailing boat. So they, you know the the WWE spear, they speared us off our boat, <laughs> left us in the water and took our sailing boat and, and we were left with their canoe and we were all soaked and uh, you know those memories and subhanAllah that was our breakaway from school because mm-hmm. we'd be in high school and we had, and, and even in primary school and we'd had that to look forward to like the, maybe that weekend we were going away and you know a lot of that's down to our parents because mm-hmm. it was their support and also their you know trust in these organisations and also in us to go away and I made some amazing friends got some amazing memories but same with me I, I remember going to the YM summer camp as well and I, I know me and Dowd 
that we didn't want to go because it was two weeks out of our summer. We're like, no, we want to stay in, in Glasgow with the boys, you know. We want to, you know, play football, whatever, go out with the boys here. And I, know my, I remember my mum saying, you're going to enjoy it. There's loads <laughs> of activities, blah, blah. I've signed you up for this, this, this. And we ended up going and to this day, some of the, I've met, you know, different people from different areas of Glasgow and we're still friends. And, you know, it got me to overcome some of my fears because okay. there was activities like um, zip lining across the forest and I'm terrified of heights. Of heights. And, you know, uh, Uncle uh, Amanda Rani, yeah. I remember he was my group leader and he, you know, he said, you know, this is... This is, you're going to get one chance to do it. Why didn't you do it? And he stood there for, I think it was 20 minutes to half an hour, just saying, you can do it. Try <laughs> it. If you're not going to try it, then you never know if you can overcome it. And I ended up doing it. And I remember I was screaming through the whole thing. And I was like, I can't believe you made me do this. But, you know, thinking back to it, um, I'm glad that he made me do it because, you know, it's given me some resilience to it, that heights and stuff like That's that. good. And, and, you know, like going back to it, because we were growing up here in the UK, we had all those struggles around us, like bullying and a lot of racism back then. And subhanAllah, these brothers were teachers, like on, on different ways on how to, what Islam said about it. And a lot of the subjects that were current to us then, like music and, and, and getting involved, they wanted us to stay in a good crowd. And that's what the aim of kind of the organisation was. And to do these kind of things like play football and all the things that we love doing, they provided that for us. And and, and like I'm saying, like you get caught up in exams and, and so on, and that's where things started to break away. Now coming on to, you know, before we go for another advert break in the next five, six minutes, obviously when we leave school, we, we all go to college then, mm-hmm. or university. Now I know at Cobe down south you go into college after high school, and here you've got the option of going into college depending on your grades and going into university. So, Akul, when it came to going to university, you know, how was that for you? When you come into university, you're presented with things like Freshers' Week and it's a whole new lifestyle that awaits you. So, did you study at home, first of all? And also, what was it like when you started uni? Like, what you know, how did you manage to to kind of stay focused when you had all the distractions around you? Like I said, Freshers' Week and they're inviting you to all these nightclubs and stuff like that. How did you combat that? I had a bit of an interesting time, to be honest, because, you know, going through, like, college, I went through kind of a range of emotions and I was going through a bit of a difficult time. And I was I was a student where, you know, I literally, like, I remember my first law exams. I got, like, in my first law exam, I think I got the third highest in the year. And then my second law exam, I got the third lowest in the year. So my grades were, like, you know, bouncing all over the place. And I remember... You know, I think it was the end of the first year when you start applying for university and it come to like my last two choice, actually my last choice. And I did a dip. I did a dip between two universities. Right. Okay. Um, I thought, you know, I'm never going to go to these universities. Honestly, the mentality that I had is if I don't get accepted in my first couple of universities, I'm not even going to go to university. So I just did a dip on the day. And so what it turned out was that that university that won the dip was the only university that ended up accept, accepting me to actually go to university. <laughs> and, uh, I remember so the, you know, the first university I went to was the University of Bolton. Now, I wasn't too clued up about transport and trains and stuff, so I used to get the bus. Honestly, I used to, every morning, like like what you mentioned about first week of freshers and all that kind of stuff, um, yeah, I was I was staying at home because I didn't want to move away. Um, I used to sit on a bus about an hour and a half, you know, to, to go all the way to Bolton um, right. to, to go to the university. Honestly, my backside used to be numb by the time I used to get there. And um, in, and in the, in the first week, because there's not there's no teaching, is there? So the first week is just you doing inductions and stuff like yeah. that. Honestly, there were days where 
you'd spend honestly i'd spend one and a half hour journey there and after a half an hour hour they've done their induction they're done for the day <laughs> and the university of bolton is is smaller than the bigger kind of campuses and the bigger universities so there was a little bit of freshness and there was a little bit of that kind of stuff but it didn't really impact me because once my day was done i didn't really know anyone um and in that first week or two weeks anyway okay. so what i used to do is i used to do my half an hour i would do my induction i used to come straight back home so i didn't really kind of mingle in with anyone or do much in the first couple of weeks until the university actually started so i mean alhamdulillah probably a blessing because i kind of avoided all of that kind of bad stuff and like the freshers in the nightclub kind of stuff so yeah and a good was too bad if you had the choice right and and i chose to study at home and i know abu bakr's going to do the same thing but If you had the choice to when it come to university study away if you go into a uni let's say in, in Liverpool or in Glasgow for example would you have moved or or was it something that you just didn't want to do at all No I definitely I wouldn't have moved to be honest cuz typical Asian lad mom does everything for me I yeah. had no capacity to move out and and do everything on my own um at that age I don't have the capacity to do it now that's yeah. probably about 10 years later on so um I, I i but when i was at that phase um i education wasn't really a motivation i lost so much motivation from it like in my college i remember like my last so because i had research and stuff my last set of exams i got two u's two e's and two d's so like at that that point in my life like education just wasn't that important to me and i just wasn't motivated by it so okay. i definitely wouldn't have taken that jump No, I, I was the same, and I wasn't really. Obviously, I wanted to get into university, but I wasn't too focused. But I remember I did consider moving away, and my parents were kind of okay about it. But it was actually Budgie Rabia who's who's running Ridge Ramadan this year, and Mella Rawder. She's the one who sat me down. She used to help me a lot with you know my education type of doing my personal statement and getting in because she's a teacher. But she's the one who said to me, she goes, you know, you can go to uni and come home and. and you've got everything here dinner on your table this night she was why would you even want to you've got the option to study here why would you want to take the extra hassle and subhanallah by making that decision it was it was so good because at the same time i went to uni and college and so on here in glasgow i managed to still do the things that i was involved in for example read ramadan and and ym and and all the other things i was involved in whether it be the charity work and going on tours and stuff like that mm-hmm. i still was allowed to do that because i was studying it but if i was away and and that's the thing that was mentioned on one of the other shows i think it was safe was mentioning on the whole drugs money and alcohol show the thug life show that you know when you move away you're away from your parents and you know if you didn't have that trust as a teenager growing up mm-hmm. our parents would let us out and expose us to this big bad world that we're living in in the UK mm-hmm. this western society when you move away it's kind of like a Open lot of and i've seen a lot of my friends that moved away to study and they became totally different persons some of them became really independent and mashallah done really well got a job settled down but a lot of the brothers that i know decided to go on the wrong path because they didn't have that parent to come home to they were living on their own or with a group of guys and they just their life just spiraled out of control some of them even dropped out of university because they didn't have that focus and i know i probably would have been one of those people that just lost my focus and mm-hmm. would have got so into the whole kind of you know just chilling Lifestyle. lifestyle yeah and and that's something that's so appealing about university we're encouraged to go to university in this country anyway they say you know when what do your careers advisors tell you in school you say then when you get out of school first thing you want to do is get into uni if not then go college but you have to get a degree yeah right and i think that whole 
aspect of it and the parents pressure and especially society and especially like growing up as Asians as well in our community getting a degree is one of those things it's just part of it you have to do it isn't it definitely if you want to reach that you gotta get that degree <laughs> do you know what I, mean? I was just kidding um yeah no definitely like i said i think i mentioned last time one of the things that you were kind of taught is go through education go you know, go university you know get a, get a good job and you know get married and settle down kind of thing but it was it was always instilled with us like my parents were so strict when it comes to kind of education um when I was going through the door, they were always wanting to make sure, you know, because they used to say everything that we do is so you can kind of get a good education. So you always kind of felt obliged and you didn't want to let your parents down by by um, not not sticking with That's probably, I know, like I said, I went through a bit of a difficult time, but one of the things that kind of kept me going was that motivation. If it probably wasn't for them, probably yeah. would have even dropped out completely. So it definitely such a big part in uh, in our upbringings. Anyway. Yeah. We're joined today by our dear brother Agob Nazir from Rochdale. Now we are continuing to talk about growing up in the West as a youth, especially in the UK, some of the challenges we faced and some of the memories and, and maybe things that we've gone through. Now, before the, the adverts break there, we were discussing about university and and how challenging university can be at times, especially with the culture that comes with it. Now, we all know it, you start university the first week, like Ago mentioned, your all those freshers leaflets are handed out to you, and they say university is really where you kind of grow up. Mm-hmm. And for me, I joined in third year of university because I went through college, and and uh, although I didn't go through the full four years at uni, but even just jumping into that third year, I was so busy just with my work and and uni exams. I was working as well part time. And, you know, focusing with uni that I didn't really experience that lifestyle at all. I'm going to be honest, yeah, you know, all these leaflets were handed out to me and so on. But I I never got involved in that kind of crowd. I really, really, in, in university, I knew so many people at the uni I went to. Mm-hmm. But I just kept my head down. I used to go to class, do my exams, go home. That's it. And I had a good friend with me that was with me through that. And we didn't really get involved in the lifestyle and, you know, never experienced the whole kind of nightlife and going out and, and going to shows and, and, and all these kind of different clubs or anything. No, we just went to 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 study and we left. So I never really seen that. I was so busy with things outside of of, of university. But I go, that lifestyle now is something that's so easy to get involved in, especially for some of the younger lads and, and sisters. They come to university and, you know, the girls are going out, you know, every couple of nights for dinner and, and then sometimes some brothers tag along and before you know it, it becomes that kind of culture. And the worrying thing is it's so normal now. Like, I remember in uni seeing a lot of the brothers and sisters hanging about and to me that was abnormal because in college it was just me and, and a couple of the brothers in our class getting on with it and then even in uni coming into that. So... Agob, I know that's so common, maybe more down south than it is here, but, you know, how did you kind of protect from going into that kind of, that, that culture, that university student life culture? It requires a great level of discipline, and like I said, it, everyone's kind of situation is, is a little bit different, because like the university that I obviously, when I first went to university, I was, it, was, it wasn't that heavily populated, and that kind of stuff, because like I said, Bolton is a, it's a town, it's not a city, so the whole atmosphere is very different than, than maybe what you would have expected in somewhere like Mar- 
Manchester because Manchester has like three universities. Um, yeah. I think it has the heaviest population of students. I think in the UK because it's got three universities so close to each other. So obviously Manchester City, the nightlife and the atmosphere, everything's different depending on where you go. So yeah. just the fact that the location that I was at was uh, was slightly different. But oh, you're hundred percent right because when you move out to university, one of the reasons why um, actually moving out is encourages so students kind of. Um, not from Islamic perspective, but just from a general thing is so students can kind of grow as individuals They can kind of mix and socialize with different people and you know, they can grow or whatever So but obviously Islamically there's certain things that we have a lot of barriers that, that will allow that You know, we can't socialize but to a certain extent it does require a great level of discipline And I think if if anyone is at that situation, you know at this moment in time and they're listening in my advice to them would be You know, like we spoke a little bit about role models and stuff, you know in our previous shows and you know when we see Christian Cristiano Ronaldo or someone on the pitch and we think, you know, why can't we be like him? The answer is, what What do we do in our free time? Do you know what I mean? If you're yeah. going to spend your free time, you know, socializing and doing, entertaining yourself, then that's, and whereas Cristiano Ronaldo, you could, in his spare time, if you have a look at what he does, he's probably training and working out for his craft. So, you know, one advice I'd give is kind of don't fall under peer pressure. Don't be, you know, afraid to kind of say no. Know what you want in life and to really go for that. Because one of the things that I do regret, you know, from a younger age is I wasted a lot of time. And yep. you only really appreciate that when you get older because, you know, when, when you're at that age, you're young, you're healthy, you know, the world is at your feet. You could literally be anything you want to be in life, do you know what yeah. I mean, if you work towards it. So my encouragement would be that, you know, if, if you kind of feel a bit disheartened that, look, other people are going out, you know, I'm at home, I think you got to think about the long run. You know, don't just sit at home and feel sorry for yourself. Sit at home and be productive. Like Zen, you mentioned one of the things that, you know, you were able to do by, you know, studying from home is that you were able to get involved in all of these other extracurricular activities and initiatives. So I definitely encourage people to kind of find better ways to, to fill their um, their time and definitely if they have aspirations in life the only way you're going to get them aspirations is through hard work whilst other people are going out and doing all this other stuff if you are at home and you're perfecting your craft and what you want to work towards you know that's definitely in five years time or six years time you're going to be the one that's probably going to be doing well in life and if you look at the people that were neglecting all of this and they spent more time socializing they're, they're probably not going to be in a good place you know today because i've seen it amongst many people it's unfortunate the people that focus more on the right things are generally the people that are succeeding in life as it is now and the people that are neglected that are generally oh, the definitely. people that are kind of struggling at this moment in time so yeah i guess I it's yeah no sorry finish off a couple I was going to say, I guess is if if you are kind of going through that situation, one thing I would advise is to reach out to someone that's been through it, and try to have someone that gives you advice regularly and kind of someone that you can turn to who can you know like during your difficult times that you can speak to someone and have a conversation with because they yeah. they've been through it all and they can definitely give you the best advice. I think possible. you know obviously once you come out of university and you've or you're in university, I think one of the biggest things is then getting a job and. You know, a lot of people say, you know, they've, they've, they've got this job, they've got that job. I mean, for me, I think my first proper job was in Sports Direct, right? <laughs> like, a lot of people started off there, and I met a lot of brothers there as well. But starting off with work, I mean, you know, working obviously here in, in the UK, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. You can find jobs much easier, especially if you're born and raised here. And if you've got some sort of decent GCSE qualifications or standard grades like we've got in Scotland. But, I mean... I remember getting a job and, uh, you know, throughout the part-time jobs, I guess, it didn't really affect me much, but when it came to things like Ramadan, 
Yeah. And Joma, obviously working in the UK here, it's, it's totally different. So I, I remember when I worked full time uh, in, in my last employment in Edinburgh, I mean, when it came to Joma, I kind of just read on my own. There wasn't a mosque that I knew of anyway at that time that was was nearby. So, you know, although they didn't have a prayer room, like many Alhamdulillah businesses do now and, and companies have prayer rooms, but... Yeah. For me, praying at work was just a first aid room that they'd given me that was never really used. So I used to go there and just pray and and during my lunchtime, and you know that was that was great. But I think one of the most um, you know things for me that was important was Ramadan. So working nine to five, like many people normally do during Ramadan, is is not easy at all. And a group can probably relate to that. So. I remember in my last employment, alhamdulillah, I was lucky because in the previous years I'd kind of really worked through Ramadan, but unless you're involved in the charity sector and stuff like that or in a Muslim kind of organisation where they understand and they let people work a couple of days at home and stuff, I didn't really have that. So what they did for me was they allowed me to come in a bit later, mm-hmm. like at you know 12 o'clock and then stay all the way till like 7, 8 o'clock, which was, which was really great. And that really helped when it came to Ramadan. But working 9 to 5, Akob, is... Like many people, especially during Ramadan here in this country, it's difficult, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And as funny as it sounds, it used to be like one of my biggest fears in life of yeah. having to work during Ramadan because I thought it's going to be so difficult. But just before I kind of touch up on that aspect, I wanted to speak a little bit about my employment journey because I know, obviously, with everything going on this moment in time, there may be a lot of students that, yeah. that are you know, a bit worried about uh, whether they're going to be able to find employment because of the economy and everything that is at this moment. And, you know, so I thought, you know, Alhamdulillah, if you believe in God and you have faith in Him, He will look after you because my journey, on Honestly, it's, it's been so incredible that I st- still to this day, I still think about how I've got to where I've got to and, and certain things that happened that just wouldn't have been able to be possible without the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like, for instance, like when I told you, when I joined Bolton University, I used to literally go in the first week or two weeks, I used to just go for half an hour and or an hour and I used to have to go back home. So during the week, I used to be so bored. So what I did was I thought, you know what, I'm just going to apply for, for jobs, right? So my first job I applied for was KFC. Um, and um, Alhamdulillah, I ended up getting like 100% on the uh, assessment. So they were like, you know, buzzing and ended up getting the job. Honestly, that job was my first job and I enjoyed it so much. I was there for about a year and a half, right? And then leading on from that, then I th- obviously I wanted to, whilst I was at uni, I was at KFC and there was a job literally five minutes walking distance behind my house and it was a call center in debt management. Okay. And I was still studying at this moment in time. So then I ended up applying for that. And they actually accepted me for the job. There's about 14 of us. And because they're doing a mass recruitment, Alhamdulillah, they just accepted us. Okay. And they, they even allowed me to work part-time whilst um, doing Stunning. my studies. So I was, I was earning like a reasonable amount. Mm-hmm. And while I, I stayed at that debt management company for about a year and a half. And, you know, towards the end of my um, uh, job um, at, at the debt management company, I was studying at the same time. And I was in my second year of Bolton University. And to be honest with you, I was just kind of cruising past. I wasn't really taking it seriously. Okay. Um, I wasn't really motivated. So what, what we kind of decided as a group of friends that we were going to transfer universities at that point. So we actually ended up moving to a different university, right? Okay. So I, I did my second year at that university. And then because it was a sandwich year where you could go and actually get a year's experience in your field, in your respective field of, of work, um, uh, I ended up actually seeing a job put it this way this was two weeks before the semester is going to start right. the university that I was actually at released a job right and what happened was that they messed up on their side where they didn't release 
the job to um, to the public. They only released the placement to intern internally, so nobody actually applied for this job. Um, and there was a full, you know, finance placement at, at the university that I'm studying at. So luckily, um, at that point, I didn't, I didn't obviously have a placement secured. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to apply for it. And the only reason I got that placement was because I had debt management experience from my current job that I was that I was working in. And the first part of that finance placement was collecting on students' debts. So that linked in with that. So that because of that, that got me this job. Then I did obviously the did my years placement here, and I finished my degree. And just like a, a month before I was finishing my degree, honestly, like I didn't even apply for a job. Well, I think it was Reed, you know, the one of the agencies actually rang me and said, right, there's a job going in Halifax in, in Lloyds Bank. Okay. Um, you know, do you want to go for it? So, and it was a contracting job where they paid you like £120 a day. Okay. I was like, so shocked, like I didn't even apply for it. They rang me and right. well, alhamdulillah, I ended up even getting that job. So that was like my first job. Okay. Um, out of university and whilst I was there it was only a temporary five month job so in, it was actually in Ramadan as well where I was just we were just sat down it was lunch break obviously we couldn't eat so we just used to either go for a walk or sit down and I was on my phone and again email kind of pinged through and it said you know thank you for applying for this job you've been successful for an interview okay. it was for an audit job and that was obviously I work in finances so I was like I could I'll be honest with you, I couldn't even remember applying for this job this must be one of the jobs that I applied for like six seven eight months ago and I randomly got an email from it so I just replied back saying yeah you know I'm happy to attend the interview so I went for the interview and alhamdulillah I ended up getting that as well so that linked on then that was like my first kind of proper finance kind of career job and the funny thing is I did it I didn't last too long there because because of the travel arrangements. So I remember, like, you know, some days from Rochdale, I'd have to travel all the way to Aberdeen. Right. Um, I did once. That was like a five, six-hour journey. And then, because it was to do with, like, car showrooms and, and auditing car showrooms. And one of the reasons why I didn't like it was being away from family. Like, you know, one of the things we mentioned before, I struggled with that because you'd be, like, away from family for, like, a week at a time. And even, like, getting halal food, I know it sounds a bit crazy in the UK. We used to go to some, like, remote locations. So even finding halal food and things like that was, was a bit difficult. So what I did was I ended up leaving without securing another job. Okay. Um, so then, you know, like, a, a week later, I didn't have a job. And I was struggling to kind of apply for jobs. And, and I was struggling to actually get somewhere with it because I didn't really have much experience. Then, alhamdulillah, then I got contacted. Um, that's, that's when I started Human Appeal, actually, for Nero. Okay. Um, an agency actually rang me and said, look, there's a job. Uh, the funny thing is, I actually applied at Human Appeal. I wanted to just do anything in that. I applied for, like, a marketing assistant. They never got back to me. But right. in the meantime, an agency was ringing me saying there's potentially a job going, at, um, you know, at this place. Um, and guess what happened with that? So with that, they actually employed someone uh, before me, right? And that right. guy lasted a day okay. at that workplace. So after a day, they said to him, don't come back in the morning. And then I've got a call from the agency saying, right, I didn't even have a telephone interview <laughs> at this point. Um, they said, right, you've got the job, just go in tomorrow morning. So I was uh. a bit like shocked. So honestly, like that, my first day at right, Human Appeal was funny because when I went there, the guy who they sacked to give me the job, he ended up coming to work. Right. So the, one of the first things I seen was that this guy just <laughs> coming. Because <laughs> obviously you've been to the human appeal, but yeah, you know the yeah. reception a bit. At the, so a guy's coming at the bottom, kicking off with someone, right? Kicking off with, I think it was Simon or, right. or someone. Um, and what I'm thinking, whoa, what's going on here? And then from that, alhamdulillah, I stayed there for about eight months. And then even then I got a message on LinkedIn, you know, someone approaching me saying, you know, um, there's a job going here for an, or something else you want to take it and I ended up taking that okay and then from that i did about another year 
yeah, there and then uh, you know applied for them. That's where I'm currently at at this moment in time. So Alhamdulillah, how everything was kind of linked to them. You know, uh, any part of that kind of my career throughout, it it could have broken off. I could have struggled to get a job, you know, anything like that. But you know, one thing like I said, I wanted to kind of touch up on is if you're in a situation where you maybe you're worried about your employment or anything like that, like I said, you know. Just stick with your faith, you know, have belief in Allah and, you know, hopefully, inshallah, whatever's in our will is going to come to us and whatever's in our kismet is not going to miss us. So, you know, not to stress and not to kind of worry too much about it. No. And kind of just going back to your point about, you know, faith and kind of work and the balance between it. I've, you know, alhamdulillah, I've never really had any issues because whenever, um, even in Ramadan, you know, the workplaces that I used to work at, they used to alter the shifts. Okay. So whereas before I do like morning shifts, like eight till four, they changed our shifts, so I'd end up doing shifts like 12 till 8 or whatever it may be. So they were always being, you know, overly accommodating for whenever I've approached, like, my workplace in terms of I want to practice my faith or anything like that. You know, even currently where I'm at, literally just before we broke up, obviously, before we got, uh, I went to work from home, I actually got one of the cleaners at my current workplace to actually clean a full room for me, just specifically, just so, you know, during the month of Ramadan, I could just go and pray. Okay. Um, so alhamdulillah we're living in a okay. uh, you know in the uk where a lot of organizations a lot of businesses respect faith yeah. and they are, they are so accommodating that to the point where if we're not praying in our workplaces we don't even have an excuse yeah because think, we can't even turn around and say oh the workplace is not accommodating or you know xyz because they everywhere we go i mean even if you go to the traffic center you know in manchester they've got a place you know they've got a prayer room there most places that we kind of go to now we can't really having excuses and they've been so accommodating i'm sure it's probably a similar situation of, yeah of i think and now more than ever i think organizations and businesses and, and like you said shopping centers airports they have that facility and you know alhamdulillah we have that i remember there was a sheikh that came over and he was on one of our tours with us and he said to me he goes then you guys are so blessed here he goes you have facilities here to just pray like that in some countries you can't pray in a park you can't pray on the street you just you have to go to a mosque or you have to do it at home. So we're lucky here in the UK that we do have those facilities where we can actually, you know, go shopping and there's a prayer room. And it's happening. And in Scotland, we're a bit slower than the rest of the country, but it is becoming more common now, especially in the workplaces. But, you know, we're nearly at the end of the show. And I feel like, you know, definitely one of the things that's kind of kept me on the straight path and in terms of staying out of trouble uh, during university, school, and especially working now, because we are now all kind of working, I've got a business, and, and even when I work full-time, is the connection to the masjid, and it's something that I try and tell a lot of the younger brothers, and it makes me so happy when I see some of the younger brothers there, but a lot of the brothers that I've known growing up have detached from the mosque, and... And I mean, I think it's the same for sisters as well. I don't see enough of, you know, and and the guys tell me at the, the mosque that they don't see enough interaction from the sisters as well because the mosque is not just for the men, it's for the, the sisters as well. And I feel like that connection to mosque, just going for one salat and jamaat is so important even because look how many mosques we've got around us, especially now in Glasgow and, and in Rochdale, you've got quite a few mosques in Manchester, all over the UK. There isn't really an excuse you know, what what time is Isha nowadays? Obviously it's Ramadan, but even when this is over, even if it's in the evening at 9, 10 o'clock, you can easily pop down. And that one namaz in the mosque is something that's so beneficial because that can keep you on the straight path. And, you know, it's one of those things that's beneficial to everyone, not just, um, you know, it doesn't matter what career you're in or what you're doing with your life. 
the mosque is 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 your se- should be your second home. It is the place of Allah, and Alhamdulillah, I had some amazing opportunities to get involved with some of the mosques in Glasgow, and, and there's one that I attend very regularly and help out. I now have become part of the kind of team that volunteer there. And that's so important. So definitely maintaining that relationship. If it's not a mosque, then even something like Rijj Ramadan, like I'm doing right now with, with Abu Bakr and, and yourself, Akub, we've been given this opportunity. The opportunities are there. Just find them. You know, there are local uh, organizations in the community that, you know, stem on Islamic beliefs, and that's important. And, um, I mean, Akub, we've got a couple of minutes. I mean, we all get chased up with the whole kind of making money here in the UK and, and getting successful in our degrees. But, you know, once you've established yourself when you come out of university, I think it's important, like you said, to have those role models. And especially Western role models in terms of, someone mentioned Mo Farah recently, guys like Mo Salah, these kind of people. Yeah, they're big footballers, but they're here in the UK and they're practicing Islam at the same time. When they score a goal, they're doing the sajda, when, you know, some of the fighters are, 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 are praising Allah on TV. You know, yes, we are living in, and we're not in an Islamic country, but it's important to 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 show those values and be proud of being a Muslim because everyone has their faiths, and this might not be a Muslim country, but we have mosques and we have the ability to to express our opinions and and obviously to a certain limit. So yeah, go. Any final words that you'd like to leave us on for the for the community uh, and to end tonight's show? Oh, definitely. I mean, like you said, I think one thing that this pandemic has has kind of brought back to us, has kind of taught us, is about the important things in life. And like, you know, like me and you, we've travelled to many different places, we've experienced many different things. But hand on heart, I can honestly say, you know, a couple of Ramadans ago, one of the honestly, I think the best week I've ever felt in my life would be is a couple of Ramadans ago, and during the last ten days, I didn't sit in the scarf, but. There was a, we used to go pray Fajr at this mosque and you know where the last day where the calf program was happening and at Fajr time there was this beautiful sheikh and he, they, what they used to do was at Fajr time they used to have this class um, straight after Fajr so we used to go pray the Fajr and pick, and the class was straight after so we used to join the brothers and and for a full week we went to the mosque and we listened to the talks and you know spiritually I felt so good and honestly like I said I can say that was the best week of my life and like like you said, I know after you finish university, you start with your career, we all get so busy chasing, you know, the dunya with the jobs and money, etc. But, I mean, the one of the challenges we face is trying to kind of find that balance. And Definitely. just quickly before we go, I think we want to, one thing I want to mention is, I think we should try to actively keep connection with the mosques. We kind of feel like we're at a stage where our, you know, previous generations don't, you know, did all the hard work on building all these mosques and facilities for us. If we get to a point where we stop using them and they, you know, what's going to happen of them? This is the house of Allah, you know, do you know what I mean? And we need to respect that and we need to make sure that we kind of keep that connection with them also and keep the, the legacy going because one day, if we don't, you know, our kids' kids, is what if they don't go to the mosque? What if it dies out? Definitely. I think definitely, I think, we need to kind of bear that in mind. No, well, thanks a lot, Akub, and we've just got 30 seconds or so left on the show. Jazakallah for, for joining us, and tomorrow... We have an amazing show. Thanks to all the listeners for listening in tonight. Tomorrow we're discussing Hajj and Umrah, why you should go, what is involved, and obviously talking about the cost and things like that as well. So please join us tomorrow on that show. And on Saturday we're talking about racism, does it still exist? And on Sunday talk, discussing working abroad. So from all the team here at Late Night Live, Jazakallah for tuning in. We will catch you tomorrow, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 